All right. Anybody not check out the Facebook page since I directed you to it with a text message this time? <laughs> all right. So we all know where we're going. We're going to look at a, a series on John the Baptist. Probably won't take us um, much more than a half dozen or so. There is not a whole lot on John the Baptist, but there's enough to get us going here for a little bit. I was thinking about this as we were going through the reading, the uh, daily reading that we do, and we came up to the part where we're talking about John the Baptist, and I saw some things inside there, and I said, boy, I'd like to do a little bit more of a study on uh, some of the things surrounding him. So we're going to do that here beginning tonight, and we'll go on through for as long as it, as it takes us. Tonight, though, we're going to begin in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and verse 5, the first four verses, talk about why Luke decided to write the book. We're going to pick up here in verse 5. For there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, when it says here, he was of the divisions of Abijah, or Abijah, however you want to say that. When David was king, he divided the, uh, the priest service into 24 divisions, or at least created 24 divisions of the priests. And these 24 divisions, their responsibility was the care of the temple. That's all they did was the care of the temple. And they had rotation bases on which they would do that. So you would serve on this, thing, this part for a while, taking care of the temple. You didn't necessarily take care of the people. You took care of the temple. So they were in temple care. Now, of course, David made this big or was making the provisions for this big temple. He wanted to have people that were going to come in there and, and to take care of it. So 24 divisions. He is born to one of them. So this is during the days of, of Herod. Of course, Herod is a bad king. Not a good king. Not, not godly in any way. Very ungodly. And yet God continued to move despite who the king was. So Zacharias of the divisions of Abijah or Abijah, his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, so she's also of the priestly line, and her name was Elizabeth. Verse 6, And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So his job, at least for right now, this particular time when he was there, as a lot came, his job was to burn incense. Think of how exciting your job is. His job is to go into the temple, to set up the incense, and to burn them. That's it. This is not an exciting job. This is not a job on which everything hangs on in the balance. He doesn't get to teach the Word of God. He doesn't get to prophesy. He doesn't get to really, it seems like, interact with the people at all. He just shows up, sets up the incense, gets it to burn. And I guess he maybe has to come in a couple of times throughout the day. But that's his job, burning incense. And he does that for the period of time that he's supposed to do it, and then he'll be done. This is not exciting. This is not, earth, this is not someone who is doing great things for God, as you would normally define it. But sometimes God is not always looking for people who are doing great things to find the ones that he wants to do things. Do what he wants. David, of course, was watching over a few sheep. And that's where he found him from. Saul wasn't doing a whole lot either. 
Now, Joseph, no matter where you put him, he kind of soared to the top of those things, but uh, he, he, doesn't always, he doesn't avoid you because you're doing great things, nor does he try and seek you out because you are. He's looking for something in the heart, and he sees something in the heart, and that's what he comes after. So, Zacharias is selected, but he and his wife they have no child. Now, they have no child, and obviously you can tell from these verses that they want one. They, they, they desire to have a child. Most of the parents, you know, most parents today do. Certainly back there they did. They carried on a lot of, a lot of significance for them to have a child. Inheritance and so forth. But they had no child. And now she's old and advanced in years. So along the course of time, if you just kind of picture this, these two are there. They're believing God for a, for a child, asking God for a child, and no child has come. No child has come. Now, I don't know about how it went for them, but I can just kind of picture this. Can't you see that probably in their life there were a couple of false alarms where maybe she thought, oh, I might be pregnant. And then they come to find out, no, she wasn't. Can you imagine the disappointment that would come? That you have faith, you're asking God for this thing to happen, and then all of a sudden some indications might be that you might be pregnant. And then you're, you're believing, you're hoping, because we've heard that with people even today that are, are, had no child, but along the course of time, they thought, oh, we thought we were pregnant here, we thought this was, was but it didn't, it didn't happen. That along the course of this time, they probably had their hopes built up. It might be that right now we're pregnant. It might be right now that we're going to have a child. And every time, whether it happened once, three times, ten times, however many times it happened, each time it ended the same way. There was no child. Can you imagine the disappointment that would come in? Now, if you were a typical Christian, you were believing God, not you folks, you guys aren't typical, but other people are typical Christians. Can you believe, you're believing God for a thing, you're asking God, this is something that's in your forefront of your mind, and every time that you come to God, you are saying, God, I thank you for that child. I thank you that we're going to have it. We've asked you for a child. I thank you. We are believing for a child. I thank you that that child is coming. That child is ours. And you're going about doing the things for God, and then the child doesn't come. How many of you all know that the accuser of the brethren is there whispering in your ear, why do you continue to serve God? He is not coming through for you. Haven't you ever heard the accuser of the brethren come and whisper something like that into your ears? Why do you continue to serve God? He hasn't come through for you. No matter how many times he may have heard that accusation, he continued to fulfill his priestly duty. Even though the duty that he has, by all appearances from us, is not that big a deal. Even if he didn't show up one day, somebody else could fill in. It, it wasn't that big a deal. But he still continued to show up. He continued to be there. Even though this may not be a big deal to some people. This is my responsibility. This is something I have been given to do. And I will continue to do it. Even though the enemy would come up to him and say, God has not been faithful to you. Why do you continue to be faithful to him? And he continually put that out of his head. And he continued to go on and do what God has said. No matter how small what it is that we're doing, we think 
we think about that. God, I'm just, I'm not doing anything important. I'm not doing anything great for you. It doesn't make any difference what we think about it. What's important is what does God think. And what happened is that this man continued to show up and to be the priest when his time came, when his call was. And whatever the lot came, if it was to burn incense, he burned incense. If it was to clean this, he cleaned it. Whatever it was that he drew the lot to do, this is what we need you to do. And he went out there and he did it. Despite the fact that the enemy is whispering in his ear, God has not been faithful to you. Why do you continue to be faithful to him? We see that when they are old and advanced in years, and probably the only thing that they really wanted God to come through for them on was for this child. And it doesn't look like it's ever going to happen. When the time came, he is there in the temple, putting the incense in the proper place, burning the incense, and doing what needs to be done. It's in the midst of this that God speaks to him. In the midst of doing something that probably everybody around him says it's not important, what do you do for a living? Well, I burn incense in the temple whenever it's my turn. Oh. What do you really want to do, though? I mean, I'm sure that there's something else that you want to do that's better than that. Aren't you kind of bored? Don't you want to do something exciting? Don't you want to be one of those priests who gets up in front and teaches? One of those priests who, who does the sacrifice, who does, uh, goes into the Holy of Holies? Don't you want to be one of those ones who does something a little bit more? A thought would come. Verse 8, So it was that while he was serving as priest before God, in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. That's what he did. He went into the temple of the Lord. He showed up again to do what he needed to do. What would have happened if on that particular day he says, you know what? I'm tired of doing the same thing. I'm tired of going the same old routine. God hasn't done anything for me. I think I'm just going to hang it up. What would have happened if he would have done it that day, maybe the week before, maybe the month before, maybe any time before, what would have happened? Well, we wouldn't be reading about him. We don't read about any, anybody else in this day that was in there burning incense, and you know there was others. We read about him. He was selected because of his heart. His heart was of such that he was not going to be discouraged. He was not going to be stopped. He was not going to be told what he was doing was insignificant, that God didn't need him. He continued to go on. They didn't walk with God because God was the, person, was the one who answered their prayers. Some Christians, they serve God because he answers their prayers. And as soon as they feel like he's not answering their prayers, they stop serving God. They walk with God because they love and serve him. And that's how we need to be. Now, if you look at some of the folks in the past, they were uh, past the point of having children. Of course, the cover uh, poster child for this one is Abraham. Abraham and Sarah. They were well past that, that point. 
and Isaac came. Isaac was pretty significant. Not necessarily him individually. He didn't really do a whole lot remarkable, but he was in a remarkable position. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Elkanah and Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. They, of course, had Samuel. I don't know if she was older and advanced in years. I just know that she, the Bible says that she was barren, that he had two wives and one wife had children and she did not. Now, she had children afterwards, but she had no children up to that point. So how old she was, we don't know, but she was at least old enough to know that we're not, it's, it's not working the way that it's supposed to be working. And it caused her great sorrow. And she got a word. In Judges chapter 13, Manoah, we don't know what his wife's name, just said his wife. They had Samson. It seems like when people are older and advanced in years and a child comes to them, that a child of significance always came. At least the ones that made the Bible. And the whole multitude, verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. And where is he? He's on the inside, burning the incense. <laughs> multitude of people was where? Outside, where he's not. So what he does, no one watches him. He does it by himself. He'll come out to the multitude eventually. But uh, what he does... He does away from the crowd. The multitude's on the other side of the wall. The whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fell, fear fell upon him. Now, where did the angel show up? The right side of the altar of incense. So if he does not show up to do what he's supposed to do, what does he miss? The angel. The angel is there where he's supposed to be. See, sometimes we think we have to do something great in order to get God's attention so that God will call on us to do something. God knows exactly where you are. What he wants to see is how you're doing with what you're doing. He wants to see your heart in that. Sometimes opposition, sometimes hardships, sometimes disappointments will come and God wants to see how do you handle those disappointments? How do you handle those hardships? Can you be discouraged? He said, he's not trying to discourage you, but the enemy is. Life seems to work that way. How, how do you handle it when it comes? So the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Now think about this. This is a priest. He probably knows the Old Testament, probably has studied the Old Testament. When has an angel ever appeared for which he was not announcing something great that was about to happen or something bad that already did? Generally, if an angel shows up, it's because something really, really bad has already happened and we are going to bring about judgment upon that or something really, really good is going to happen and we're preparing you for that really something good. So, but an angel doesn't just show up. Hey, I just in the neighborhood wanted to see how you're doing. But just don't do that. So when the angel shows up, this is for something big. And so he sees the angel that's there 
And, oh man, <laughs> I don't know if it's going through his head. Is he thinking, is it something in the past? Or is it something great in the future? I don't know if he's thinking about that, but whatever he's thinking about, because he's thinking about something, it's produced some fear on in the inside of him. Now, of course, they can be very overwhelming, very, very intimidating beings when you see them. They're angels. They're, uh, I don't know that there's a weak one. You know, they aren't those things that they paint in the pictures, the little babies floating around with the wings. That's not the angels. Angels, they're big. Generally bigger than us. Certainly stronger. Able to do great feats. And this one just showed up. So he was troubled when he saw them. And fear fell upon him. Now whenever... It seems like God has shown up for something. We are always mindful of what we've done that is wrong. Isn't that about the way it is? I'm always thinking, oh, I did this wrong and, and I didn't come through for God on this and I just know God's disappointed in me that I didn't come through on, on this end. But didn't we start this whole thing talking about how blameless they were, how righteous they were? So no matter how blameless or righteous you are, you can always find something that isn't quite measuring up. That if you think or you feel like God has made his appearance, you have reason to feel inferior. Reason to feel afraid. This, this guy, by the word of God, by the testimony that Luke writes down here, he says they were blameless before the Lord. Righteous. And yet when the angel shows up, they're afraid because we become very sin conscious and even if we didn't do anything we can come up with stuff but the angel said to him do not be afraid Zacharias they say that a lot I guess they're used to it for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Your prayer is heard. How many years? It's been a long, long, long time. She's old. Advanced in years. They'd probably even given up on thinking that it's ever going to happen. And then the angel shows up. He, he says this. Now? <laughs> Your prayer has been heard? Well, if the prayer has been heard, what does that mean about the prayer? Prayer was in faith, right? The, the prayer that he made was in faith. So if he made the prayer in faith, God heard it. Why is it only until now that something is happening? Why couldn't it have happened sooner? Why is it now? Have you ever asked God questions like that? God, why haven't you answered my prayer yet? Why haven't you come through before now? Why is it that I am still waiting? I've checked everything out that I can check out. I seem to be in faith. I can't find anything that I'm not in faith. How come this isn't working? Well, the best we can tell from what the angel says here, he, has, he and his wife have been in faith. At least at some point along that line, they got in faith and they made a request to God and God heard it. But God waits until now. Why does God wait until now? Why couldn't God send it sooner? 
Aren't these kind of questions that you would be asking? Haven't you asked questions about that, about things that God has said? God, why, why am I still going through this? Why hasn't this answer come? You said you would deliver me. You said you would do this. How come this hasn't happened? You called me in to do this. How come this hasn't opened up? What's going on? I don't know. Am I, am I doing something wrong? I mean, we don't have to question God saying that God's wrong. Or, or, you know, usually it's, what am I doing that's not right? What do I need to change? How do I need to make it? I'll do whatever you want. I'll do whatever you need. Just show me what it is that I need to do so I can change it and I can receive this thing. That I can get this thing going. We'd be, be happy to change anything. We're, we're, we're not pointing the finger at God and saying, God, you messed up here. God, you're not, uh, not doing right by me. Or, we're not doing that. We just want to know, God, what do, you, what do you want me to do? Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, here's the fun part about this. There apparently is no one in his history named John. We know that because we read a little bit further ahead. <laughs> so, so some of you, if you read through the Christmas story, you all know, you read further ahead. There's no one else in this history named John. We didn't have to check that out. I didn't have to go to the Greek. All his friends and relatives checked it out for us. And they all told us there's no one in your history named John. Why would you name him John? Because the angel said so. Why does the angel say that? Because their custom was to name it after a priest from the past, someone else in the history, and, and name him that way. Because John is supposed to break with tradition. John is the last prophet from the Old Testament. And John is the first prophet of the New Testament. Remember Jesus says, that he is the, the first and the last? Well, John is the last and the first. He is the last of the Old Testament prophets and he is the first of the New Testament prophets and we give him a brand new name so that we understand we are breaking with tradition. It's not that John was not an unknown name in that day because what about Jesus' disciples? We've got a John in there. It's not that John is, is an unusual name. Apparently there were quite a few Johns that were around in that day. But it was not a name for his family. And it was breaking with tradition because John was going to break with tradition as well. So the angel says to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And he goes on. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. So here's the first thing he's talking about in his, in his birth. You will have joy and gladness. Now think about this. You are old and advanced in years. You have believing, been believing God for a child for a long time. But now you're old and advanced in years. What is the best days of your life to have children? When you are young. And can chase after them. When you are old and advanced in years, <laughs> it's not as easy to chase after them. 
it takes a little bit more doing to keep chasing after them. So that's why old people, they make grandparents. They don't have to be there all the time. But the parents, you got to be on it all the, all the time. They're the ones that are waking up in the nighttime. They're the ones that are chasing after them during the daytime. They're the ones that are they're equipped for it. Many times we feel like we're not equipped when we're parents. But they're the ones that are. So now you are old and advanced in years. And then the angel comes and says, Hey, you're going to have a baby. Now think about some, some couples that you may know that are old and advanced in years. And the news comes, Hey, you're going to have a baby. How much joy and gladness is in that household? We're thinking, Oh dear. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, no. Oh, a baby. A baby. Oh. Joy and gladness may not necessarily come along, but what's the angel say? And you will have. Now, you can read this a couple of different ways. You can first off read this and say, oh, this is just going to bring you joy and gladness. Or you could say, you will be glad about this. (laughs) I don't know which way the angel is saying it. But whatever way it is, and you will have joy and gladness and many, not just you guys, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. This is all prophecies about their their son. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Doesn't matter about the sight of people. What he is saying is in the sight of God, this man will be great. And we know that from what Jesus said about him. And shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. It seems to have a reference to the Nazarite vow. Which we can think of someone else who was born in their old, or at least advanced, another no, old, old age. Uh, but um, he also took a Nazarite vow. Shall drink neither wine nor strong, strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. From his mother's womb, the Holy Spirit is going to come and fill him. That's what he's saying. That hadn't happened before. This is a new thing. But this is kind of all over the board here on this thing. First off, he's going to be great before the Lord. Secondly, no wine or strong drink. And he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit. From his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. So through his ministry, the things he's going to say, the thing he's going to proclaim, many will come to the Lord, will be turned to the Lord, their God. Many of the children of Israel. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Oh, now we're getting somebody's attention. Because up till now, we haven't said anything quite as... Uh, identifiable. You're saying that our son is going to come in the spirit of Elijah and they all know who is supposed to come before the Messiah. Elijah. You're saying that our son will come in the spirit of Elijah. You're saying our son is going to be the one who comes in the spirit of Elijah. Now, this might be turning it for him. He might be starting to get excited at this point. The other stuff, you know, having a child, all that kind of stuff, maybe that was <laughs> questionable. But now, this, the spirit of Elijah? 
You mean things are happening? You mean things are coming into, into place now? And he will come in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wis, wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Well, now he ought to be getting excited because everyone is excited that the day may be here for the Messiah. They're all looking for it. They all know how to count Daniel's years. And they all know from Daniel's years we're getting close to the time of Messiah. It ought to be happening. And here we go. He's going to come in the spirit of Elijah. Now Malachi 4 verse 5 and 6 Behold I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Great and dreadful day of the Lord. We know what that is. We've read the book of Revelation. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So according to Malachi he is going to come before the second advent. Jesus as Messiah is not the second advent. And yet, look at, what the, look at what he says. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the, to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And again in Malachi. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Some very similar wording there. It's definitely pulling from Malachi's prophecy. Now both John and Elijah turned the hearts of many to the Lord. And both of them were very bold before kings and very bold before opposition. We see a lot of similarities that was there. Let's go on and see. And Zechariah said to the angel, We all know this isn't good. Sometimes you just ought not to open your mouth. How shall I know this? For I am old, for I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Now he called himself old. He didn't call her old. <laughs> a wise man, right? How shall I know this? For I am old, for I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Now contrast this a little further down the road with Mary. Look at what Mary says. How can this be since I do not know a man? Again, Zechariah, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. They seem very similar. Mary, how can this be? Since I do not know a man. How can this be? Since I do not know a man. And he says, how shall I know this? For I am old, for I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. Now, it's the same angel who brings both messages. The same angel brings both messages. And to Mary, Mary says, how can this be? I don't know a man. And he says, ah, oh, that's okay. That's okay. With God, all things are possible. All, all things are possible. Yeah, she's just a little girl. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of like pop-ups. 
when we come in there and a little girl comes in and says, Papa, can I have some chocolate milk? Oh, certainly you can. And I get up and I get the little girl the chocolate milk. And then pretty soon, Chenzo is going to grow up and he says, Papa, can I have some chocolate milk? Get it yourself. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's not going to happen. (laughs) We got the little girl showing up. Mary says, how can this be? For I have not known a man. And the angel, Gabriel, says to her, very nice words. With God, all things are possible. Okay, let it be unto me as you say. And we all go on and everything is fine. And Zechariah says, How can I know this? For we are well advanced in years. And he says to him, Don't worry, Zechariah. With God, all things are possible. All you need to do is belief. He doesn't quite get the same answer. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. <laughs> he didn't do that to Mary. <laughs> he goes scaring Mary off. But he does it to him. Who stands in the presence of God. Oh man, we are pulling all the stops. I am Gabriel. I stand. Stand before God. <laughs> and was sent to speak to you. So, I am, I'm not just any angel. I am Gabriel. And I stand before God. And God sent me with a message to you. And was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. (laughs) But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the days, the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Now, how many think that this is just a little bit unfair? Why is he so hard on Zacharias, who has been believing God for a child for many, many years, decades, believing God? And he comes and says, says, God has heard your prayers. And he comes over to Mary, who is not believing God for a child, who has not been asking God for a child for a day, not at all. Not asking God for a child. And he says, you are going to have a child. And she says, huh? Oh, it's okay, Mary. It's okay. All things are possible. God. But Zacharias, who has been believing, who has walked uprightly before God, whom God has heard his prayers, but for some reason has not answered the prayer until now. And he asks a question. And he gets slapped down. And I am Gabriel, who stands before God. And I was sent by God to bring a glad message of glad tidings to you. And this is what you say. This is what you say. Hmm. Who says God doesn't have favorites? Whew. 
Mary says, How can this be since I do not know a man? In all the ways that I know that this happens, it cannot happen with me. So how can it happen? Whereas Zechariah says, How shall I know this? How shall I know this will come about? How shall I know that this thing will be? And what we can learn from Gabriel is you may wonder how God is going to pull it off, but don't ever wonder what God said when he spoke to you. Don't ever wonder. If God spoke something to you, don't ever wonder, God, did you really say? All you need to do is, if God said it, God said it. You may wonder about his method of bringing it about and you can apparently ask questions about how are you going to bring this about? Is there something I need to do? Is there something I need to, to change and get instructions on that? But how can I know this is not an appropriate question. And if you get the wrath of Gabriel who stands before God, he knows God. If he's going to react like that, it's because he knows that's how God reacts. And that's not the way that we ought to go. And what we ought to learn from these two things is don't ever doubt what God has made plain. Don't ever doubt what God has told you. If God has told you a thing to do, don't ever let doubt come in. So what he is told is that he will not be able to speak for all these days because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. I'm sure he believes them now. But he did not believe them at that moment. You see, no matter how good you may be in your life, no matter how faithful you may be, you apparently can still be guilty of unbelief. Make sure you stand on guard against that. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. So what this kind of leads us to believe is that he went in there to do the incense and usually that we'll just put a number on it. It takes maybe 15 minutes to do. Maybe it, it might take 30 minutes, 60, whatever it is, however long it takes. It takes about the same amount of time each time that you do it. Well, anything that we have that's repetitive and it's the same thing, it kind of takes us always the same amount of time to do it. If you have a store and you're going to go in and open the store, doesn't it take you, well, I go here, I do this, I go here, I do this, I go here and I do this, and you, you have the, the things that you, you go and you do. Whatever it is that we do, if it's a routine, I know how long it takes. We all know how long does it take to get to work. Well, if I leave at 6.30, it will take me this long. If I leave at 7.30, it will take me longer. But I know how long it will take based on the time that, I, that I'm leaving. There's a routine that is there. So there's a routine that goes on with him. So whatever the routine is, let's just pull a number out of the hat. No significance to this. Let's say it takes him 30 minutes to do his routine that he has for all the incense. So he goes on in and he does all these things. They're expecting 30 minutes and he's got this interaction going on with the angel. Don't know how long that takes him or how long it takes for him to recover from all this. 
But whatever time it is, it's taking him longer. And the people are saying, well, he went in and usually he comes back out after this period of time. And he hasn't come out. Why hasn't he come out? It's not like he's in the Holy of Holies and may have died. But somehow he's, he's in there and we haven't seen him come back out yet and we're just kind of wondering, why is he not coming out? And then finally, maybe he's 15 minutes late, maybe he's at 30 minutes late, maybe he's an hour, whatever it is, he's late. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. They're probably saying, did something happen? Were you okay? Did things spill? It, was something not lighting? Uh, you know, what happened? What happened in it? Can you imagine if you spilled incense in there? I mean, you can't just go out there and get the dust back. You got to get out there and find, do something to sweep it up with and whatever it might be. To, probably takes a little while. You know, what happened? They're asking him and, and he can't talk. Why can't you? Why aren't you talking to me? You were just talking a minute ago. Before you went in, you were talking just fine. Why is it you can't talk right now? And they perceived that he had seen the vision in the temple. So even though he couldn't talk and communicate it, he probably was using his hands to signify some things about what was going on. And they kind of, uh, and they may have said, did you see an angel? He could not speak to them. They perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned to them and remained speechless. And so it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. Oh, now that must have been torture. He's over there taking care of the, the, the house of the Lord. He's doing all this stuff. And the angel showed up. Now, again, we're pulling numbers out of a hat. Let's say he's got a two-week period of service. And the angel shows up on day three of his 14 days of service. That means he's got to finish it out. So he's got this word about his wife and he can't tell her about what's going on. And I'm sure he doesn't want to send word, you know, write it down and send, give this to my wife. I'm sure he wants to deliver it directly. So he's got to keep all that stuff in and, and wait. But he waits until the time of his service is over. Because that's the kind of person that he is. And he finishes his time of service and then he goes then he goes back and he tells his wife. So after his days were of service were completed, then uh, that he departed to his own house. So he didn't depart to his own house until then. Now after those days, his wife Elijah, uh, Elizabeth, conceived and she hid herself five months. Now after those days his wife Elizabeth did what? Conceived. That means they had to wait for him. He got the word. They had to wait for him to go back home to his wife. They had to do the things that caused the babies to come. And then she conceived and she hid herself for five months saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. So it sounds like she's joyful. She's glad. But this is one of those things you get to heaven you like to find out what happened when you told her the news. What happened when, when that was going on? And what about the other people? 
Did the other people ask you questions? And when you were finally able to talk, did you tell him some of the wording that the angel used? Were the people getting excited? He said, he's coming in the spirit of Elijah. Really? He used the same wording as Malachi? He used that wording? Is that what he said and told you to call him John? How many people around there got excited? How many people did word around this spread? How much expectation was there for the baby John? How much expectation did he have growing up? How much of this was put upon him? You are here to prepare the You are going to be the Elijah for the Messiah. And he said he would come in the, sp- in the spirit of Elijah. Did not say he would be Elijah. Said he would come in the spirit of Elijah. But how many people heard he was Elijah? How many people heard that? And he had to live up to being Elijah. Would that influence or affect your upbringing any? This is what he had to go with. How about his parents? How about his time in the service in the temple? Did suddenly their temple duties get elevated? Well, these guys have Elijah as their son. The angel appeared and said these things. We saw the sign that he couldn't speak. We saw that his wife got pregnant. We saw all these things. Did his service in the temple become elevated? Because now someone saw him as more significant than they saw him before? Did things like that change? We don't know. We aren't told about those things, but you could certainly see how some of those things would change. So as we start here in this series on John the Baptist, here's what you can certainly take home from this. Be about what God has said to do. Whatever God has said to do, be about doing it. Do it to the best that you can. Be about doing what God has said to do. You see, He knows where to find you. You don't have to be doing something significant for God to find you. He knows where to find you. He found Saul hiding in the baggage area, wandering around the wilderness looking for for things. He found them. He found David back with the sheep when his own parents wanted to bury, bury him and not really talk much about his existence. He found them. No matter how insignificant what we think we are doing is, no matter how much the enemy wants to tell us, you are not doing anything of significance. If we're doing what God said to do, stay there and do it. He knows where to find you. Put this in your outline too. It is okay to not know how God will do something. That's okay. It's okay not to know how He's going to do it. But don't doubt what He says to you. When God has spoken to you, and God has spoken clearly, do not doubt what He has said to you. This is not the only time we're going to see this. We're going to see this later on. But just keep this in mind. If God has spoken to you, no matter how insignificant you think it is, no matter how minor, no matter in what way, if God has spoken to you, do not doubt that God has spoken. Don't ever, if you come around and God has told me to do this, don't let the enemy ever come around. Water that down. 
caused you to not believe it. No matter how great, this is something Brother Hagin used to always teach us, no matter how great the revelation, the test of trial will be greater. He thanks God that most of the time he doesn't have heavenly visions because whenever you got a stronger revelation, the opposition was a lot stronger. And you can see that even in the lives of a lot of people. Take whatever revelation he gives you and you hang on to it and you don't let it go until God gives you the next piece. You stay with it. Even if he comes and you're still doing the same thing, it is better to be found doing the same thing he told you last to do than to have stopped to find something new. Be about doing whatever it is that God has given you to do. Do it with every bit of faithfulness that you've got. Don't be concerned about how other people view it, how much they consider it to be significant or insignificant. If God has asked you to do it, it is significant to Him. Father, we thank you for the examples of people in the New Testament, the things they have taught us. As we look at this life of John the Baptist, I thank you for the things you will teach us, things you will help us to know. I thank you for the example his parents gave us, setting the stage for when he comes, when he comes on the scene, and the things that you do with him. Help us understand and apply this for our life. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.